Why do you think it's so hard for people to imagine AI killing them? They might be projecting it on other software they have experience with. So how would Microsoft Word kill you? I mean, I can just turn off the computer. What do you see as that singularity threshold? Is it? Um... So then that happens. We don't know what's next. It's like saying, okay, in a year, aliens are coming. We know they are super smart. They have advanced technology. That's all we know. Now, how do I prepare for it? What do I do about it? It's not obvious. Are they friendly? Are they going to help us? Can we negotiate? Can we control them? None of those questions are easily answerable. Since numbers in the 70% of people who are not supporting creating a superintelligence, do you think the AI companies care at all about public opinion about their product? Well, they, they probably don't, but also polling is very easy to manipulate. If you ask the right question, you can get any type of answer you want. On top of it, the people you're polling have no idea what you're asking them. They have zero understanding. They think, most people think that AI researchers, AI developers know what they're doing. They're engineers, engineering a product. So they, they don't have comprehension to provide a meaningful answer. It's like asking consent from a five-year-old. Like it just doesn't mean anything. Sure, sure, because nobody fully understands it. So how can you consent? The experts don't fully understand. The people making the systems don't understand how they work, what they are capable of. So nobody can fully consent to having this experiment performed on them. Out of 8 billion humans, no one can say, I give my informed consent to have this technology released in my environment and I'm willing to take the consequences because nobody knows what they're agreeing to. Welcome to For Humanity, an AI safety podcast. This is episode four, Roman Yampolsky interview part one. I'm John Sherman, your host. Thank you so much for joining. This is the AI safety podcast for the general public. No tech background required. So I want to start out today with something really exciting. Just a few days ago, I posted the trailer to the first show on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, and I got a really exciting response from Dr. Roman Yampolsky, who is one of my favorite AI safety researchers featured in the first show. Um, he reached out and said, love what you're doing. I asked, would you be on our podcast? He said, absolutely. When can we do it? So we set it up for just a day or so later. Um, really great interview. I think there's a whole lot of things in there that you're going to get a lot out of. Uh, so we're going to split it into two parts for this week and next week, um, Roman's interview. This week, we're going to cover why more people aren't upset and involved in these issues. Uh, we'll talk about how AI workers go to work every day knowing the danger of what they do, and yet they continue to go back the next day. We're going to talk about how he talks to his kids about these very heavy issues, something that certainly weighs on me and is dear to my heart. Um, and we're going to talk about the possibility that he could just be wrong about all this, a hope that he and I share. So here is Dr. Roman Yampolsky, director of the Cybersecurity Laboratory at the University of Louisville. Hello. Hi there. How are you? Such a pleasure to meet you, sir. I, I really appreciate you doing this. I can't tell you. Um, I just started doing this thing a couple days ago, and and you know it's going to rely on people taking a leap of faith, and and I, I'm just so thankful. We'll do anything we can to to do it right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I have a ton of questions for you. And I figured we could just jump right in. Excellent. Awesome. All right. So, you know, just off the top, when you when you're going around your life, when you're out on the city streets, and you see people running around everywhere, and, and everybody is so busy, but it doesn't seem to me like anyone is rushing around to deal with this. What do you think to yourself when you're just out in life watching everyone run around? Well, it's not so unusual. I mean, we know that everyone's going to die and we do absolutely nothing about that, right? We kind of just assume that's what happens and ignore that even older people, I don't know how someone who's 90 years old just kind of does unimportant activities. Uh, so it's very similar just to the scale of humanity. Yeah. And you don't, you're not, you, you don't feel like you know this secret or you know this thing that like, oh my God, if everybody just knew this, they would all stop and, and we would all deal with this? In fact, every time I give a public talk, I tell people this is exactly what's going to happen. They ask me, well, what happens to my job? What about uh, copyright for art? And then they go home. <laughs> I don't expect them to act any different every time I give a talk. Even though you've told them that human extinction is on the line, they're worried about their job and their art. They just ignore completely the consequences and concentrate on something they care about. So if it's a conference dedicated to a specific subfield, let's say art, all the questions will be about types of art and style transfers and yeah. And they just blow right past extinction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I some sort of a built-in protective bias mechanism. I mean, otherwise everyone would just be depressed and maybe suicidal and do crazy things. So there's got to be some reason behind this, but that's the case. It's such a massive thing to even contemplate. Do you think, I mean, obviously you've contemplated it. I've contemplated it. a lot of people out there have certainly the human machine is capable of this sort of contemplation. Right. And of course, you always hope that you are wrong. Maybe there is certain percentage chance that I'm just mistaken and it's going to go much better than anticipated. If you told me three years ago that we're going to have an AI system as capable as GPT-4 released publicly with access to Internet, I would predict significant negative consequences, side effects. I would be wrong. So maybe it's possible I'll be wrong again. Maybe there is nothing special about getting to very close to human level to AGI, maybe until you get to superintelligence is a nothing sandwich. Who knows? Because we don't, we've never faced it, right? It's a, it's a hypothetical until you actually deal with it. You attribute probabilities to different parameters of your model of the future, and you might be wrong about those estimates. Okay. How about this? So polling out there, I was seeing new polling yesterday showing that you know, the public, as much as they understand about this, really are sort of negative to it. Since numbers in the 70% of people who are not supporting creating a super intelligence, do you think the AI companies care at all about public opinion about their product? Well, they, they probably don't, but also polling is very easy to manipulate. If you ask the right question, you can get any type of answer you want. On top of it, the people you're polling have no idea what you're asking them. They have zero understanding. They think, most people think that AI researchers, AI developers know what they're doing. They're engineers, engineering a product. So 
they, they don't have comprehension to provide a meaningful answer. It's like asking consent from a five-year-old. Like it just doesn't mean anything. Sure. Sure. Because nobody fully understands it. So how can you consent? The experts don't fully understand. The people making those systems don't understand how they work, what they are capable of. So nobody can fully consent to having this experiment performed on them. Out of 8 billion humans, no one can say, I give my informed consent to have this technology released in my environment and I'm willing to take the consequences because nobody knows what they're agreeing to. So... We have two terrible wars happening now. We have the U.S. presidential election coming. Do you have any hope that in the next six months or a year, this issue has a chance to break through and really sort of grab the public's attention? It's unlikely. It's too abstract. It's hard to visualize superintelligence. It doesn't look like a Terminator. But there is always, you know, hope that one of those uh, wars will slow down research progress. So, hey, something good will come out of it. Okay. This is something I run into all the time as I try to talk to people about this. Why do you think it's so hard for people to imagine um, AI killing them? They, they just want to know, like, how could it really happen? They just have such a, such a barrier with, like, I'm in my daily life. How could this actually happen? They might be projecting it on other software they have experience with. So how would Microsoft Word kill you? I mean, I can just turn off the computer. I can delete it. I can reformat the drive. Certainly, we can unplug it. We can shut down power to it. We can pour water on it. Uh, I think I have a paper kind of surveying hundreds of different skeptical objections to AI risk. Yeah. And oh, I know and... I have that paper. It's not I think. <laughs> I know I have that paper. Yeah. Do you ever at conferences or when you're talking to people about this thing play the game of you know, obviously we don't know um, if AGI is a super intelligence, it's smarter than us. We don't understand how exactly it would kill us. But do you ever play the game of, you know, here's something reasonable that a human could come up with that could potentially be a way that could actually happen? Or do you just push off that whole, you know, hypothesis? Uh, I, I try to explicitly say, if you're asking me how I would take over the world to destroy it, I can tell you some great ideas. Maybe it's hazardous information, but here it is. But I have no idea how a superintelligence would do it. We have no comprehension of possibilities open to such a system. What I do a lot of times to convince people who say, AI would never do X, Y, Z, I say, the moment it becomes available, I will do it just to prove you wrong. I will personally instruct it to do exactly the thing it's saying it's not going to do. Nobody had a comeback yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've used this one where it's sort of like, you know, anything that we could kill, like an ant, an ant has no idea, you know, there are literally endless ways we could kill an ant and it has no comprehension of any of them, right? It doesn't, we could squish it, we could burn it, we could laser it, we could do any number of things. If we knew unknown laws of physics, we could do even more things. Uh, do you, do you like, feel like that? We don't explicitly research best ways to do it more efficient. If we did, we probably would come up with very clever approaches for doing that. And AGI would probably do that research? Not necessarily. Again, we're not saying this is definitely the outcome. We're saying we don't know what it's going to do. We cannot predict it. We cannot uh, understand what it's capable of already. We cannot monitor additional training runs. There are very strong limits on uh, most capabilities. We need to make sure the systems are safe. Sure. I, I Myself, I think 
some of the world woke up this spring in March and April. Um, when did the alarm bells really start to ring for you about this? So this is why I'm kind of not 100% certain that I'm right. Because many times in the past, then we had a breakthrough in AI, I was sure it will have a lot more impact. Then Deep Blue had its success. Then IBM Watson was uh, outperforming humans in jeopardy. Uh, all those kind of triggered, well, this certainly can be scaled to a full general system and they ended up being complete nothing sandwiches essentially. So I'm more skeptical about this particular system is the one, but the trend is obvious. You cannot deny this exponential improvement in capabilities, GPT-2, 3, 4. Obviously, 5 is unlikely to be exactly the same as 4. Sure. We talked about it a little bit, but why do you think people are so unaware of this? So there is 8 billion people. Some are not aware of computers existing. Internet is not a thing in their life. Some may not have electricity to begin with. So we can already say, okay, half of those billions are not even in the same sphere of concerns. Then within kind of next level of capabilities, yeah, we have people who maybe have cell phones, maybe they watch YouTube videos, but they don't have experience with uh, AI. They don't use those tools. I give talks to executives who run major banks uh, and they don't know what Bitcoin is. So it's not so unusual for even experts within the field not to be aware of what's coming, what's happening. I always, anytime I meet someone in a occupation other than mine, I ask them, what are the chances your job will be automated? Uber drivers, CPAs, lawyers, no one has ever said, oh yeah, my job is gone. They all are convinced that their job cannot possibly be ever automated because what they do is just so complex and remarkable. And I think some of them may be wrong. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, you know, so this podcast that I'm doing is entirely about existential risk. I'm trying not to touch jobs and any of that stuff because it's sort of like, you know, the room is on fire. Let's not talk about the furniture until we put the fire out. Right. But if um, you are wrong about something so trivial as like the obvious next step where technology today exists to automate this job and you denying this possibility, maybe you are wrong about other things as well in the same direction. Right. Absolutely. The lawyer who doesn't think AI can take his job probably won't believe existential risk very easily. Exactly. So one of the things that, you know, I, 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 for months have listened to many of the three hour long podcasts, the Dwarkish Patel and Lex Friedman and, and, you know, Future of Life Institute and all these really long podcasts. And it's so much to take in. What I'm trying to do is do a podcast that is accessible to regular people with no tech background to try to, you know, increase awareness among people outside of that three hour um, podcast loop. Uh, so could you, could you? If you can, try to explain the transition from AI to AGI as if you're talking to a class of second graders. Sure. So we're switching from having tools. We always had tools. Some of them were for making us stronger, physical improvement. Some are uh, cognitive improvement, calculators. They are tools for you to use to achieve your goals. We're getting to the point where the tools are becoming agents. They're independent of us. They are capable of making their own decisions, their own goals, 
and they are competitive with us. In fact, they might become better than us at everything, including science and engineering and making better agents. Yeah. And when that happens, that's, that is the, the singularity when, you know, when is the, what, what do you see as that singularity threshold? Is it? Um... So then that happens. We don't know what's next. It's like saying, okay, in a year, aliens are coming. We know they're super smart. They have advanced technology. That's all we know. Now, how do I prepare for it? What do I do about it? It's not obvious. Are they friendly? Are they going to help us? Can we negotiate? Can we control them? None of those questions are easily answerable. It seems like the only thing we're in control of is inviting them or not. Well, even here, I mean, you, you, you're saying you're going to target this podcast to regular people. Let's say a regular person watches this and goes, I believe you. Now what? How are they going to change their lives based on this information? We're not providing any specific set of instructions. It's not like there is a third party they can vote for with a platform of stopping this. There is absolutely no, no incentives for for them to do anything meaningful and no way to succeed at doing it, if, if, even if they try. And is that the way you see it? Is there, um, you know, young people, anyone who, who recognizes this as a problem, there's nothing anybody can do? Well, the cost of creating those systems keeps becoming less and less. It used to be that, I think even today, it's probably $100 million to train a model like that. But in a year or so, with advances in more efficient learning algorithms, more efficient hardware, it may be $10 million, then a million. Then at some point, you can do it in a laptop. What can you do to stop this from happening, given all the crazy psychopaths, cults, militaries? Somebody's going to do it. So it's not so obvious to me what, uh, what you should be doing. Some people say, okay, let's, let's pass regulation. Let's make it illegal. I'm all about creating all sorts of red tape to slow it down, but is it meaningfully solving the problem? Uh, spam is illegal, computer viruses are illegal. Is this helping? Yeah, that is, that is the question. And so is, is there any sort of, do you, do you see an international body being a viable thing? Some sort of, you know, nuclear style international regulatory body um, it seems to me creating that would take years uh, and and we just don't have the time. But what are your thoughts so on that? Exactly what I just said. If UN made viruses illegal, would it change anything? Nobody cares. Like it has no actual impact on the ground. We don't even have capability to monitor training runs. If we're training right now next generation model, GPT-5 or equivalent, we have no idea at what stage of training and capability it is until we stop the training run and actually experiment with it. At that point, if GPT-4 stopped at somewhat near human level capability, superior in some domains, but not in all, maybe running it for another month gets you to superintelligence. Then we train it for six months. What we get out of the box is a complete superintelligence, not something which will later self-improve to that level, but it's already too late at that point. We don't even know how to check for that. One of the points I see on some organizations like stop.ai that are calling for various sort of measures, you know, call your congressman, learn about it, spread the word. They have a, you know, a page for take actions. There's a cap the training runs at 10 to the 23rd. Uh, you know, is that something like a hard cap on the training runs that would have any impact regardless of the cost of them? 
Well, as I said, I support all measures which will slow down this company with legal action, with any sort of regulation nonsense. But is it actually helping? So a lot of those uh, groups are calling for protests on the streets. And you can now see videos from them. You have people with signs, people walking yeah. by. Again, let's say somebody walks by, really takes it to heart and goes, I'm with you. Now what? It changes absolutely nothing. Either people walk by, they kind of used to crazy since San Francisco protesting things. So even if they listen, I mean, what are they going to do with this? Do you see AGI as inevitable? So it's possible that it could be delayed by some, some uh, event. So we saw a pandemic, for example. We're now seeing possibly worse coming into play. So something like that can definitely delay technological breakthroughs, uh, either because of damage or because resources are allocated elsewhere. But eventually, in the absence of such uh, defeaters, it seems like that's the natural progression for for any civilization to try to build this uh, automated intelligence, uh, more computation, more problem-solving ability. At least at some point, it becomes uh, smarter than the creator. And after that? We don't know. Some people think that's the natural progression and the evolution. You have this next level intelligent beings occupying universe and they're deciding what to do with it at that stage. It doesn't look like it's the case since we don't see, you know, light cone of alien computerium coming at us yet. So it doesn't seem like that's the answer, but uh, it, it seems like it's a um, kind of convergence point, natural attractor for, for any advanced enough civilization. I think to myself, um, you know, think of the 117 billion humans who've lived here before us, all the sacrifice, all the sweat and tears they've put into making humanity better and, and that our generation is going to be the one to lose it all just seems unfathomable to me. Seems statistically unlikely. That's why I have a lot uh, riding on a simulation hypothesis. This is just a test. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but can you imagine? I mean, doesn't that seem? Uh, it seems unthinkable that that the group of people alive right now would be the ones to drop the ball for everyone in history who's come before. So right before our generation, we had the same thing with nuclear weapons, right? They didn't know what's going to happen. They didn't know if it's going to blow up the planet. They failed to stop proliferation. We got lucky with not having nuclear war a few times, but it could have been that. Uh, the previous generation was responsible, not us. And I'm sure if we make it to next generation, they'll have their own problems with nanotech or synthetic biology or whatever is the hottest tech at that time. Sure. But at least, I mean, it, you know, it's not a good scene, but at least in nuclear catastrophe, 1% or so survives, right? We're talking about zero. Right. So that's something positive about a nuclear war. <laughs> Certainly, certainly. So let's talk a little bit about alignment research. Um, without getting too technical, you know, has any real progress ever been made in AI alignment research? I don't think we even defined what that means. Who are you aligning with? What agents? Specific leaders of the research group? 8 billion humans? Do you include squirrels in that computation? 
we don't know what the set of agents to which we are aligning. The agents themselves don't have a fixed set of values. They're dynamically changing. What I want now and what I wanted 10 years ago are completely different and it will continue changing. There is obviously a disagreement between agents. Some things you cannot compromise on as we see with all these wars over religious sites or something you cannot just make a second copy of. So it's not obvious that the problem is even well-defined. And so obviously you can't provide a solution for it because you are talking about things which nobody even understands. How about just what I sort of think of must be the most basic universal human value, which is preserve human life. Just that one simple thing right there. there there's no way to make a machine that um, natively wants to preserve human life. But we argue about what is human life. Are you talking about bans on abortion, preservation of semen? Like at what level do you stop with this? We don't agree on that. Half of the population disagrees with the other, right? That I didn't even think of that. That's, um, I mean, if we could agree to like living humans, people who are, who are walking on two feet, we want to preserve their lives. Uh, so even someone that, who we cannot can't. walk is out. We we hate disabled. Is that the goal here? Like uh, you no. have people in coma, you have people sleeping, alternate states of consciousness. It's not as trivial as uh, saying do good things, save lives. If it was, we'd probably make some progress. But that's exactly what it is. Then you start zooming in. Each one of those trivial keywords expands into AI complete uh, problem. Wow. So what do they do? The people who say they're doing alignment research, what, what you know, are, are well, they, right what now, do they do when they go to It means to filter out this uh, model. You have a base model trained in actual knowledge, and then you make sure the model never says anything politically incorrect, nothing embarrassing, nothing which targets a specific individual or group. And if you apply enough filters, you're kind of getting Google results instead of dark web results. The dark web is still there. If you get access to it, you still see all the horrible things, but the filtered results, you're putting lipstick on the Shogov. You're putting lipstick on a pig, essentially. That's what you're doing. And so that's all current alignment research is, is, is basically trying not to piss people off with what it says? Basically, yeah. But you also have people releasing models, releasing weights, where even that filtering can be removed. So you just have a naked model where anyone can train it on anything and utilize it for any type of purpose. So one of the things you do um, that is is super interesting is research into the people doing AI research. Um, and I've been trying to understand how anybody could be doing this work and sort of get up and go to work the next day, knowing the potential consequences of what they're doing. What have you discovered from your research into um, AI researchers themselves that is interesting that would teach me anything about their mindset because I find it incomprehensible. They're very normal average human beings with exactly the same values. They want to have a good job. They want to be respected, promoted. The incentives are aligned in such a way that it's next to impossible for them to stop doing what they're doing. They have to continue their research to continue their lives and improving quality of their lives. So it's all about incentive structures. And, and, you know, the junior guy going to work at OpenAI, 
the one who's in that in the in the in the you know 50% who believe there's a greater than 10% chance that their work causes human extinction he just says well is a 90% chance it doesn't so uh what's for lunch well, uh, I think a lot of times people would go, if I'm not going to do it, they'll hire some other junior engineer, he'll do it. I, I might as well get my stock options in this $80 billion company. It's not the worst thing, all things being equal. If this crazy guy in Polsky says we can't control it, we can't stop it, I might as well get paid before it's over. So there's no chance uh, some breakthrough headline hits about the risks of AI and everybody at OpenAI just gets up and walks out? I think it's kind of the opposite. If we get uh, an accident report or even a purposeful accident, it kind of works like vaccination. People go, see, it happened and we're all here. Nobody died. Well, somebody died, but not everyone died. So it's not a big deal. We can mitigate, control it. It's still a very small amount of damage given the positive upside of curing cancer and life extension. Wow. Um, so I saw an interview with, uh, a guy named, uh, Jaron Lanier, uh, who works at Microsoft talking about how, um, he's asked in a podcast, why he's asked in a podcast, how people working in capabilities advancement can keep going to work, knowing the danger of their work. And he talks about how a lot of the people in tech have childhood science fiction fantasies and they grew up on these science fiction TV shows and movies and they see it as inevitable. And it's just really hard for people to give up their childhood science fiction fantasies. Is that a real thing in this? To the best of my knowledge, most science fiction is about horrors of AI and terminators and how poorly it's going to end up. So that doesn't seem to make sense whatsoever. Oh, he says that he literally says in the interview, um, you know, most of these movies end up horribly, and yet we just can't stop trying to make it happen. So there is uh, kind of this built-in creativity in humans. We want to become like the creators, right? We want to ourselves create intelligent life and shape them to hopefully be better. That's what we do with our children, but we have limited ability to control and program our children. So this is uh, kind of next level customization. I have two kids, two 18-year-olds heading off to college next year. Do you have kids at all? I do. Congrats on being almost done. I'm not that Thank close you. to being done. So three kids. Thank you. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a high hill. So, so how do you talk to them about this? I have really struggled with um, how to talk to my kids about it. How to, you know, I sort of don't even talk about it in the house because it's so dark. I don't, I don't want it in their heads. I don't, you know, they're 18. They're going off to college. Like they shouldn't have to be burdened by this. And yet, um, you know, it's a real thing that's going to impact all of our lives. How do you, how do you deal with your kids about it? They grew up with it, right? My books are dedicated to them. They saw me work on it. They saw the talks, they tried reading the books, they found them boring. So they, they didn't finish them, but they have lots of good ideas for what to do. I mean, not working ideas since it's impossible, but uh, they, they try, they do what they can. And they, they really wonder why someone young, healthy, rich would want to destroy their own existence. It seems like a violation of self-interest. It seems like a violation of self-interest from the mouth of a child, right? Common sense. So I wanted to end here on a bit of a personal note. 
My father worked on nuclear arms control and nuclear arms control negotiations for the bulk of his 45-year career. I grew up in a house where nuclear war and nuclear arms control were the daily dinner conversation. Um, I didn't view it as something scary, even though it was. I viewed it the way my father approached it, as a practical problem that was solvable with creativity and commitment and intellectual vigor. That's how I see this problem, these problems. We cannot shy away from having these conversations with each other, even with our children, because they are dark and they are difficult. It is specifically for those reasons that we lean into it and that we must have these conversations. Um, so there was some rough stuff in that interview when Roman talks about what are these protesters doing? What can anyone actually do? Um, I cannot agree with that. I choose to learn what is to come and I choose to stand up and fight. That's my choice. I also wanna say that everyone is entitled to make their own choice. I think it is fully a reasonable, respectable position to say, you know what, I can't really do much about this. I have so many problems in my life already, so many problems around the world. I'm engaged in addressing human suffering now. I want to focus on that. I can't really deal with this. I want to stick my head in the sand on this and just la la la, nothing's happening. I don't think that is entirely unreasonable. Um, part of being human is accepting others who make different choices than you. And I just want to say that, you know, I do believe that that is a choice that people can make. So coming up in part two of my interview with Roman Yampolsky, Roman talks about what is at the core of AI safety risk skepticism? Um, also, what should people make of the fact that many of the different leaders in the AI safety movement themselves have opinions that are different from each other? We're going to talk about why journalism as a whole is failing miserably on AI safety coverage, and we'll talk about a drastic step Roman suggests the federal government could do to actually make a big difference. So please remember, subscribe, like, share, comment, follow. Let's make this interactive. I would love to hear from you. Um, and this week, do that one thing you can do to help with this. Go convince one other person to look into these issues, that they're real and that they need their attention. Go convince one person. Spread the word with urgency. Time is not on our side. For Humanity, I'm John Sherman. I'll see you back here next week.